looking back as well um at uh, you know the DeFi summer um one of the best summers of <laughs> our lives um you know we saw that ethereum was full of creativity and execution um and people learning really fast and people uh, connecting with each other and creating new things uh, so you know, we we saw all of these farming protocols spurred by yam uh, <laughs> co-launched by Trent um, that were, you know, popping up like every day, several of them, you know, Ethereum is a fertile ground for creativity. So, you know, back then it was uh, farming food coins. Uh, now, uh, then, you know, during the DeFi, during the NFT summer was uh, creating PFP projects. And now maybe it's talking culture, um, but the creativity is always there. Welcome to UFO, a podcast where artists, musicians, and Web3 builders talk about the future, a place for revolutionary ideas. I'm your host, Nick Hollins. On today's show, Maria Paula and Trent Elmore. Maria is the original founder of the Department of Decentralization, which organizes for the ETH Berlin Hackathon events. Trent was actively working in the DeFi space before he, MP, and Sam Spike from the Finilia NFT collection came together to build JPEG, a platform and infrastructure to promote and preserve the NFT ecosystem's cultural objects via exhibitions and canons. JPEG's exhibitions allow users to curate online NFT exhibitions, which are stored on Arweave in perpetuity. JPEG canons are community-created and governed lists of NFTs designed to index a new contextual data layer for the ecosystem that will map relational networks and improve discovery, context, and searchability. As we'll talk about in this episode, co-curation is a powerful thing. The JPEG community is presently co-curating the JPEG canons, and recently for dynamic NFT artworks, and now moving onto the conceptual. You can see more of these debates about what should be included in the canons emerging from the Discord via the excellent JPEG blog, on Mira. In this episode, we'll talk about the origins of JPEG and what the team has been working on the past couple years, coming out of DeFi summer and through the bull season for NFTs up to present day. Let's take a moment to thank our sponsors helping to put UFO on the air. First, our friends at Zerian. UFO is a podcast that brings together the brightest builders, creators, and founders, shaping the cultural side of Web3 and Zerian is the perfect wallet for these active citizens. Zerian combines every corner of Web3 in a simple and intuitive app for self-custodial humans. Discover the hottest NFT collections, track your DeFi rewards, and vote in DAOs across 10 plus chains. Come along and check out their new app on mobile. You can get started at zerian.io. That's Z-E-R-I-O-N dot I-O. Lens Protocol is the open source tech stack for building decentralized social media applications. It's a new era for social media in Web3. Lens isn't a social media app. It's a protocol to let Web3 social apps thrive, a permissionless and transparent social graph that is owned by the user. With Lens, your followers go with you to whatever application you want to use. So instead of being trapped inside the wall garden by an algorithm, Lens lets you choose the way you want to experience your social media. 
UFO is here to help listeners get started with Lens. And for now, the best way to pick up an invite is interacting with UFO on Twitter, retweet post replies, and let us know that you'd like to join. UFO is available on all Lens apps at ufoclub.lens. To explore links for JPEG, its community, blog, and art resources via the dynamic and conceptual canons, check out the show notes at ufo.mira.xyz. Let's jump in with Maria Paula as I make an observation that the JPEG community on Discord is starting to emerge as one of the most interesting and engaged communities for art on the internet. So if I'm into art, that's where I should go, right? It's where you should 100% go. Um, and I have to say, this, like right now, it's really popping um, and really, you know, like gaining more traction. But the the Discord has actually been, and, you know, like the whole perception of the JPEG brand as well has always been quite consistent in this, you know, like known for expertise, sort of like odd meme uh, culture and tapping into experimental art. We have been super lucky that since the very start and maybe because of uh, the co-founders backgrounds as well and how we communicate, we have gotten this edge. And at first, of course, uh, when we first uh, launched and raised in the middle of the bull market, this played as a disadvantage because um, yeah, we were we were basically too cool for school. Um, and now that everyone's looking for substance and content and you know meaning, <laughs> because there's no opportunity cost in chasing the next wave, um, we have resurfaced. Uh, but maybe Trent has a different opinion. No, I mean I I totally agree. Um, and I think that consistency is is really key. I mean we have a point of view on what is cool and significant in this space and we've just like always um kind of stuck to this idea that you know coordination based things more software oriented based work um things that are actually engaging with the medium itself and playing into its its strengths are really some of the most fun and interesting works that's that's happening in the in the nft and digital art digital art space um yeah, it just took a while for, you know, one, our product to get to a space where we can actually like appropriately kind of foster that that community. Um, but the fact that it took us so long, it's like we uh, we've been here and we've been building the relationships. It is just one of those interesting things where we're so used to overnight successes in crypto in general of like, you know, someone releases something, it instantly gets traction and like everybody's talking about it. And a lot of times they end up kind of being flash in the pan things. We've the interesting thing about JPEG, I think, um, you know, at least in in this moment, we'll see where things continue to go, is that it's really been a, a slow burn for the last 18 months of just, you know, consistently putting in the work and um, building up the brand to where now I think we're we're really in an interesting place to, uh, to yeah, foster these conversations and and um, engage with the the community that's that's formed. Yeah, as I mentioned before, we jumped in and started recording. Um, there's there's so much of my like internet life that feels like it's by osmosis and just like being being out there in the ocean and and things are coming through and like 
you know, JPEG was like on my radar. It feels like, like from the beginning, I'm fairly sure. And um, my sort of understanding of really what it is has kind of evolved over time as well. But like very early, it was like JPEG is a protocol that allows you to curate collections and like create meaning and context for works and stuff like that, which is a super powerful idea in an environment of like infinite JPEGs, essentially. Um, and so being able to kind of organize and sort of have almost like a social layer and a, the curation layer is a super powerful piece. Um, dialing like way back to like the beginnings of, of JPEG, I'm really curious to explore how did your founding team come together uh, and how, how did this like idea and drive towards creating a sort of curation layer? How did that become the thing that you all kind of decided to come together and build? Um, so me, MP, and Sam Spike uh, all just connected via via Twitter. So this was like the first the first half of 2021. Um, and I was just finishing up some things with Yam Finance, this Algo stablecoin, like fully decentralized community it was kind of like wrapping up uh, some of my role, my role there and kind of like looking for the next things to to do and, you know, started seeing some really interesting kind of conceptual oriented, like deeper substance NFT projects going on, whereas just before that, it had been kind of like a lot of trading cards, you know, like bull run babes and like all of this, like DeFi summer adjacent, adjacent NFT stuff. Um, and so started to dig into it. And as part of that came across some of MP's work with the Department of Decentralization um, and some of the, the kind of like academic style writing that they had done on blockchain based art and NFTs and was uh, like super, super inspired by it. Um, I studied art history in school. So like it was right up my alley in terms of my my interests. Um and so, you know, just started up a dialogue with uh, with MP about, you know, curation, decentralized curation. And I think, you know, for me at, at that time, one of the things that that I was noting that, you know, is still largely true was just that all of the taste making in the space was really governed by, you know, the large platforms, super rare foundation, whatever, as well as, you know, to some degree, like Christie's and Sotheby's and like, it was these big centralized entities, as well as like the big collectors that were really dictating taste in the space. Um, and so I was really interested in, you know, what are ways in which, um, you know, a non-centralized entity and or people without just like massive amounts of capital can start to um, to impact the taste trajectory of the space. Um, and decentralized curation was a uh, an interesting way to to start thinking about that. And on my side, well, you know, I Nick, you were also saying that you knew me from before the pandemic. Um, you met me through the Department of Decentralization, and uh, probably. For a like because of my early work with uh with the Ethereum community as well, um I started in blockchain six years ago now and I've been I became enamored uh, with the Ethereum community very early, and started my own organization in Berlin, the Department of Decentralization, with uh, trend mentions. 
I've been with NFTs since the early beginning. I actually uh, was uh, organizing one of the grant giving ceremonies for the first NFT projects in 2018. And from there, I thought it was a brilliant uh, tool for provenance. I've always been very interested in culture and try to incorporate that into the Department of Decentralization as well. So yeah, organized some events about uh, to start conversations with people that were experimenting with uh, blockchain and more traditional art, uh, started exploring more about NFTs, started collecting a little bit, but you know, it was the middle of the bear market and I didn't have much money. Um, so, you know, like I missed on a fantastic X copy because it was like one ETH when ETH was like 180 USD. So that's a big L for me. <laughs> and yeah, you know, I, I continue, I was more interested on, you know, like the academic side and of nurturing my a nonprofit department of centralization with knowledge from uh, you know curators and from different participants of the art scene and incorporating them into hacker culture so i really didn't pay attention to nfts even if i was working with them uh, for all that time until i had a lot of difficulty editing my last paper on the topic um in you know, in 2020, um, I couldn't, I couldn't keep up with the space. Um, everything kept changing, everything kept, kept pivoting. And I realized, you know, we were about to have an explosion of NFTs, uh, published the paper in February, 2021, and everything exploded that same week. And, it, yeah, I was already in conversations with Trent. Um, so everything was very natural. You know, nine months later, I uh, left my job and went full time with JPEG. I'm curious to kind of like dig in a little deeper as far as like as as your founding team were kind of coming together. And it's almost like you're appraising the space that, as you say, was like exploding at the time uh, and just getting bigger and bigger. And then it, it seems like the the core idea that you've seized on is the like token curated registries as being the unlock to kind of make sense of all this and to start, you know, bringing through the kind of uh, curation layer uh, for for this space. Like, what have you kind of uh, learned or discovered along the way in, in seeking to set out and build this kind of stuff to where you are now in terms of like where I guess we could say the JPEG product is up to from like early days through to, you know, what's kind of live online right now. I think it's an excellent moment to bring up Nakamoto gallery trend, but I'll leave you, I'll give you <laughs> the honors. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it, it, it took a long time to get to the, well, not a long time, like a couple, a couple months um, to actually get to the, TCR idea, but the TCR token curated registries has been like kind of core to the idea, like kind of since the the inception. Um, uh, but I think one of the things that we've kind of learned over the course of this this time and and was also present at the beginning was just thinking about NFTs like. In the beginning, I think so much of the um, impetus for this was 
how often and how significantly NFTs were being treated kind of like first and foremost as financial financial assets. And I mean, we still we still hear this from a lot of the crypto Twitter crowd of like, uh, you know, it's an altcoin with with a picture. Um, and so there's still a ton of that. But it's like really NFTs are this financial asset, they're this social asset, and then they're this cultural object. Um, and I think for us, the cultural object piece has always been something we're really, really fascinated in and think needs kind of more attention because the degree to which they're financial assets is really built upon their social, their social asset and how and how deep that that social uh impact is and that social impact is really created by what that cultural impact is and how much like uh you know cultural value is instilled within the object itself and so if you think about the long term uh kind of impact of any specific nft or collection it's like you really need to establish that cultural value in order for it to, you know, maintain its social relevancy and and financial financial value, um, and so back then and still now we see so often, you know, these hype cycles of NFTs in which the thing gets a bunch of attention on Twitter one week, and then the next and everybody buys it, and then the next week it's off Twitter and everybody sells it, and like then the the line just goes kind of like flat on the price chart, right? Um, and so a lot of what we want to do i think particularly with the jpeg exhibitions which you know anybody can make an exhibition regardless of ownership um and the the canons is create opportunities for you know more of that substance that cultural substance of a collection or a or a piece to be surfaced and discoverable kind of like outside the ephemerality of twitter timelines and like discord messages um and just to to allow that to uh like build up and be referenceable over time i think i refuse to go too much into i refuse to go too much um, into to nakamoto <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm i'm gonna keep on bringing it up but uh you know like in the early days as well nfts were you know, the, first of all, they like maybe marketed is the wrong word because they weren't marketed at all. We were also thinking that NFTs was a, an acronym that would never take off. Uh, but the truth is that uh, most of the attention um, after what happened with CryptoKitties, uh, which basically, you know, NFT, the launch in uh, late 2017, completely created a disaster of transactions, clogged the network. Uh, you know, Ethereum was labeled as, stu as stupid, and then a bear market started. After the bear market started, um, Ethereum was desperately looking for use cases. We didn't have anything. Uh, you know, <laughs> um, the, uh, the the DeFi layer was uh, not, a, you know, like it was conceptualized, but not properly built, and usability was horrible as well. Um, 
So what happened back then was that NFTs uh, were regarded as, you know, this incredibly versatile uh, asset as now, you know, we're, we're also talking about a very versatile asset that had many use cases in its non-fungibility and its and in its scarcity. For example, you know, there were people talking about um, property titles. There were people talking about using NFTs uh, for supply chain as well and many other use cases. Um, and the most early use case, the one that actually uh, created uh, the token standard, CryptoKitties, was pushed aside because we were in desperate need of relevance to validate that, you know, all that we have been building on Ethereum was worth it. Um, you know, fast forward, uh, of course, DeFi takes off as the first uh, product market fit of this Ethereum world. And then later, NFTs, but NFTs didn't take off as a derivative or as a complement to ERC-20 DeFi schemes. Actually, you know, Uniswap launched NFTs for their liquidity pools, but that didn't quite take off either. Um, what took off was PFPs and art. Um, and that was uh, when also we realized that, you know, at the, in the same uh, in the same vein, TCRs when they were born, they were born uh, also late 2017, uh, 2018. They were used to curate or validate data sets. Um, especially, there was a lot of talk about like curating the news um, and you know curating ERC twenties as well uh, via Messari. But that didn't take off. That didn't find the product market fit or adoption. And what if now where we have an asset class that needs to be verified, that needs to be indexed, that needs to be ordered at like NFTs, we decide to unearth this other old, old in, in blockchain terms, piece of technology um, that are TCRs and we combine them together and maybe, you know, maybe what they were conceptualizing back then and Simone de la Rubiere and uh, Trent McConaughey and others um, has a real use case as well. Yeah, ironically, um, I was just recently recorded with Benny Jang and getting the kind of behind the scenes of CryptoKitties and, and that whole thing and sort of, you know, clogging mainnet and, and all that kind of controversy that went on. Um, I love the idea that it was an NFT collection that brought like such calamity to Ethereum and then also became one of its strongest use cases like a couple of years later. Something super wild about having these conversations and kind of zooming out and looking at the timeline and things we're talking about from 2017 or 2018 feel like distant history. And it's almost like if you had a time machine and you could jump back and let people know how things are going to pan out but then having the same view of the now. And that that to me feels a bit like what the JPEG community is right now. It's like things are starting to coalesce. People are starting to like collaborate, curate things together, create exhibitions, contribute to the canons and, and stuff like that. And if these are sort of new and emergent ideas that may become, you know, like a, a really consistent, solid part of like, I guess you could say crypto culture or art culture heading forward like what's happening with jpeg right now 
I feel like is going to seem like such a such a no-brainer in a couple of years from now. Like, of course, that was going to be the thing, just like when we're talking about stuff from 2018 kind of bearing out. Yeah, and also a little bit looking back as well um, at, uh, you know, the DeFi summer, um, one of the best summers of <laughs> our lives. Um, you know, we saw that Ethereum was full of creativity and execution um, and people learning really fast and people uh, connecting with each other and creating new things. Uh, so you know, we we saw all of these farming protocols spurred by YAM, uh, <laughs> co-launched by Trent um, that were, you know, popping up like every day, several of them, you know, Ethereum is a fertile ground for creativity. So, you know, back then it was uh, farming food coins. Uh, now, uh, then, you know, during the DeFi, during the NFT summer was uh, creating PFP projects. And now maybe it's talking culture, um, but the creativity is always there. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with MP that like there's so much creativity and like desire for expression and involvement. Um, you know, I love I love your uh your bullishness on on JPEG and kind of TCRs generally, Nick. I uh I don't even know if I'm I'm necessarily that bullish. I think we have a ton of stuff that we still need to to figure out, right? I mean, one of the reasons. TCR has never really worked, I think, is that governance is a lot of work. And like in the old days of TCRs, there were all these kind of like economic mechanisms of, you know, I propose and I stake, I challenge and I do a different stake and then we all vote and like people get various stakes. Um, and it just was a little bit too like economically rational, probably. Um, and so we basically dealt away with all of the the economics of it and are oriented much more towards reputation but it's still uh governing a list essentially which is both very exciting at times and can also feel like feel like work especially you know after the initial few weeks of you know the generation event right um so it's there are a lot of product challenges that I think we still have to solve. But what I think I'm really excited about is one, obviously the dialogue that's being created. I mean, I think some of the the conversation conversations that are happening in our Discord are some of the like most interesting and substantive that are happening and maybe have like ever happened in NFTs um that that I've ever seen. And then I think really tapping into this kind of multiplayer experience um is something people just really really love to to do and we're seeing you know we're seeing that happen on the financial side jpeg is obviously taking a little different approach to it that's like you know sometimes feels like a dow sometimes it feels like you're just you know discovering new projects but it's it's this form of kind of crypto governance and it has an orientation that I don't know if we've seen that much of, which is very kind of like outward facing such that what you're doing is like expressing a view on other things and kind of like saying how you think the space should be as opposed to a lot of DAOs where it's like, what should we do? What should like, should we pass this proposal? It's like, um, there's, there's something about the degree to which you get to like exert your opinion 
in this kind of public setting um, is I think really, really interesting when the result of that is this kind of like communal productive output. Um, I think people are just really responding uh, in a, in a super cool way to that kind of multiplayer experience. I think we're closer to uh, Wikipedia and the dynamics of Wikipedia editors and their sense of beauty and why they do this, uh, even if there are certain incentives on, on JPEG, than we are to DAOs. Because, you know, DAOs are uh, generally closed communities and what they manage, as Trent said, is their resources. And that's the promise as well of, you know, having these organizations that can be administrated in a transparent and in a democratic way as well. Whereas us, you know, we just tell people, hey, did you like libraries? You can be a librarian too now. Um, and that's sort of, it's, it's, it's a little bit fun. Yeah, people, yeah, people like to, to curate and things. And when I was thinking about JPEG and talking about it with friends um, this week, folks who were unfamiliar with the project and are not in crypto world, um, and it was just kind of like, oh, you mean kind of like, creating playlists sort of like almost like a Spotify playlist type culture. I'm like, yeah, I guess it is. It is a little bit similar to that in a way. Like, and I mean, essentially like a, a curated playlist is generally like from, from someone that you resonate with is generally an incredible way to do discoverability. Basically, like it, it can be one of the best ways to kind of find stuff that you're into that you may not have, surface otherwise i like the comparison to wikipedia as well people used to you know create their mixtapes and share them like exchange them or trade them with uh, with friends so you know selection and curation is actually something very native to humans um you know in uh, i don't want to dive too deep into into history but uh you know like the, the act of collecting and displaying your connect your collection um, is a very ancient task. Um, so you know we're just following that that instinct that people have. Yeah, and we, I mean we obviously think a lot about a lot about playlists um, because it's one of the most kind of obvious sources of curation that and like active sources of curation that exist, you know, in basically all of our all of our lives and daily experiences. I mean, there's a million others, right? Like you go to the grocery store, like someone shows what's in the grocery store, like um, you know, you go to your, you know, your morning brew newsletter or something. It's like they're curating the the news for you in that. So it's like it's it's totally it's totally everywhere, but I think playlists are a specifically good example i mean to some degree the canons are like if you went to you know spotify's uh um you know established like you know pop punk which is one of my favorite genres uh playlist and like just like did like the you know the full top level genre playlist but like the all spotify users are actually the ones who like decide what goes on that list but then you also have all of these kind of like independent, you know, hey, here's a bunch of random, you know, here's my my personal pop punk playlist. And so that's kind of 
how we think about the canons versus the the exhibitions. Like we've got this multiplayer and then we also have the single player experience. And I think one of the things we're really excited about going forward is like, how are we going to link those up in a more kind of coherent way and really kind of streamline the experience such that you can go between them and you can, um, you know, your, your experience in the multiplayer makes the single player better and how does the you know your exhibition curation and your single player experience like foster better participation in the the canon multiplayer and like just this this interplay i think is super super interesting to us yeah this is like surfacing for me as well like back in the day when i was living in sydney and like did radio broadcasting for a long time and um was like a music programmer for an independent station so this like curating the music that was on air was like a really like fun a fun thing to do and that's the kind of you're creating a the canon i suppose of like what make goes on playlists through the radio station but then the single player is like the specialist show surfacing like the kind of things that that show is is into and that's kind of like your radio dj and all that kind of stuff i think that super resonant thing in in culture uh as well um sort of looking looking back at jpeg as well though like and these canons and things that are being created and it's like is is there something about this and about the community as you say like you know some really phenomenal conversations going on among the community artist members who are there and stuff like that, that there is a preference for surfacing like, like real art, so to speak, you know, like less of the kind of PFP financialization of, you know, that, that side of NFTs and more for trying to surface stuff that we really think is cool or culturally significant potentially. Like it feels like JPEG skews that way a little bit. Like, what do you guys, what do you guys think about that take? Yeah. I mean, to go back to, you know, the original, you know, how we started off in terms of kind of JPEGs consistently, we as a kind of protocol, totally open, like anything can be put in an exhibition, like, you know, we're opening public canons in the, you know, soon TM. So like anybody can propose a PFP canon, you know, at the technological level, we're really super open as a brand, you know, we've you know, rarely gone in for and like kind of hopped on whatever bandwagon is is currently going on in terms of, you know, the big, uh, you know, memes of the the space or, you know, the whatever artists everybody's talking about, like, unless we are also just like really, really psyched about them. Right. Um, and there's always been a kind of like, if you know, you know, culture within within jpeg and we just have a slightly different perspective on what is going to be long term really significant in the in the space so i think you know that's that's definitely attracted a certain type of artist and individual i think one of the things that we're also really passionate about is um just giving more attention to self published artists artists that are like you know deploying their own contracts and their own website that like you can only really find if you are kind of following them and you're going to their website and keeping up with what they're doing as opposed to, you know, getting surfaced on foundation, super rare, you know, uh, any of the major, the major platforms. Um, and so 
that's largely, you know, one, because I think that that speaks to some of the potential of the space that you can just like totally self-publish in that way. And it's, it's very with the ethos. Um, but I also think that artists who are able to do that have, uh, are often doing like deeper, deeper work and like clearly have a really kind of far ranging, um, expertise and like vision for what the the total vibe is going to be and like want to create a very specific experience um and so we are huge fans of um you know not to say real art it's more about like a complete artistic experience and like really um uh yeah just kind of like owning that, owning that process, thinking really deeply, deeply about it. Um, I think just a little bit different vibe than what um, kind of a lot of the space tends to be able to easily coalesce around. And putting a little bit the the labels aside, um, of course, you know, we, we have our own very um, very strong interests and we're also very lucky that uh, they they actually you know like all the sort of in sync in this in this way we also hang out at the same discords a lot of the time so that's where and we also you know like sort of you know generate these uh, like bridges between communities so you know like yeah in the end it's like mostly the same people and you know we are like right now growing and getting more people uh, but I think there's something very um there's a basic aspect to PFPs um that maybe doesn't need a curation protocol uh because when you are buying a PFP you buy it for uh you know bragging rights ownership uh, for you know the ownership of it for the rarity um you become um you become you it, you acquire a different status because of your PF, PFP as well. You become recognized as well, and you can find the perfect PFP by simply tapping on the or you know the one that you can afford. And these two oh. things are surfaced by the metadata already. Um, so that only takes you to tap into OpenSea and refine your search. Um, PFPs are also very trend-driven. So, you know, I I think Trent, you did an amazing exhibition on Azuki's, um, which was absolutely beautiful. And it was more about reflecting the different aesthetic aspects of the collection. Um, and we thought, you know, I thought that was a brilliant way of displaying a, a PFP collection. But the truth is that, you know, people were going for Azuki's um, yeah, they were beautiful anime and anime. Um, is that is that correct? They were beautiful anime, you know, greatly done. Uh, but they were after Asuki's because they followed the trend of the hottest PFP. Um, once they, and the promises of Asuki's having a roadmap as well, which uh, fosters speculation. Uh, so you know. Art doesn't have those things. Art doesn't have a roadmap. Um, art doesn't give you expectations. Art is uh, there for you to interact with it, to enjoy it, and that's about it. Um, I, but at the same time, uh, to discover art uh, gives people this 
a really real sense of accomplishment and satisfaction. Um, and for all of that, you do need curation. Yeah, and I think this is I think this is such a, a good point to like kind of double click on that I think a lot of what JPEG wants to do and is, you know, part of our kind of mission and kind of personal ethos is uh just kind of like filling in where we think the gaps are in terms of attention and knowledge. Um, you know, which is not necessarily what's most advantageous for us as an organization, right? Like, again, we, we don't necessarily go after whatever the latest bandwagon kind of like meme is in the, in the space, because that already has a ton of attention and like a ton of people kind of like talking about it, focused on it um, and, and learning about it. We're really interested in, you know, where are the, where are the knowledge gaps in this space and where does more conversation need to to happen around kind of the cultural development and ecosystem. Um, let's facilitate. Let's facilitate those conversations. Let's bring those projects uh, more into the light. So as like the the canons start to like really get into you know get into flow now and like the conceptual canon is open for submissions at the moment and previously the dynamic. Um, Canon was like was put together. Um, what was the experience like for you guys and for the community? I suppose looking at like the curation of the dynamic Canon potentially, you know, what discoveries were made, what was surfaced, and you know, for folks listening, like potentially from from your point of view or to your taste, like some what are some of the more compelling like dynamic NFT uh, art projects that like came through or surface through the, the canon. Um, just as a note, uh, proposals, uh, you know, we don't consider any canon as, uh, you know, finalized. Uh, they're always working progresses because, you know, the, the space is obviously constantly evolving and constantly publishing. Um, so the dynamic canon is still very much open, uh, but we feel that uh, with the amount with the projects that are uh, around the dynamic projects that are around and the projects that have been submitted and approved in the dynamic canon we're getting very close to completion at this moment um nevertheless it's still open if you have a cool uh, submission please uh yeah please do so um people are still voting and are still discussing um and honestly with the dynamic canon i feel that we really brought something that that particular community needed. Um, it took us, a, you know, it took us a lot of work as well to propose, uh, to test. Um, we weren't finding dynamic projects because they weren't la labeled as dynamic. You know, early projects were certainly not labeled as dynamic. That is a new label. It's a label from 2022. And a few projects are only marketed as such. Um, if you Google now dynamic uh, NFTs, you will probably find five if you're lucky. Um, so by creating this dynamic canon and inspiring people to research and to submit the ones that they knew were dynamic already, uh, we really were able to convey the message that this was a really needed primitive in the space because we we do have these problems of discoverability. 
Yeah, there was a there was a funny moment when we were uh you know testing some of this stuff and one of our devs uh you know went to type into Google like list of dynamic NFTs and like nothing showed up and he was like oh yeah shit that's why we're that's why we're doing this um uh because there's this huge gap in terms of like context of NFTs in which like when discovery happens it's either via social recommendation on Twitter or like volume rankings on marketplaces or like categories like art collectibles gaming on on marketplaces um so there's this this whole indexing thing that that is really interesting problem to to be working on i think one of the things that was really interesting when we were creating the dynamic canon and like having that conversation was uh you know we're in a kind of beta alpha beta stage right now in which jpeg is the only one who is submitting canons for um you know uh to be to be created right and so we just you know we made our own criteria we worked up it in kind of our in our team and then we created the canon and had the criteria and then as soon as we did that and like people started proposing it was like oh did you think about this did you think about this did you think about this um and it turned out like and for the conceptual it was a similar thing like creating a criteria for these canons that can help guide people uh as to how they should vote is like way harder than we thought um so with the dynamic you know there were things like okay for works like Ezra Miller's solvency that kind of is a constantly generating image but like nothing is really changing within the token it's just like the the code itself is you know constantly reinventing itself um or the image that's coming from the static code is constantly reinventing itself like is that dynamic um what about art blocks projects that have you know keystroke uh interactivity and that you like you know you press whatever key and like it changes like is that dynamic and so we had to do this whole discussion around, you know, all right, we previously had some really general idea of like what a dynamic NFT is, but once we actually went to go and like get into the details of categorizing it, um, it turned out there were all of these, these edge cases to work through and, you know, ways in which we needed to um, frame the, the criteria to fit that. And then, there were things that okay got excluded from that but are still really cool and like you know for instance the the art blocks you know if you press the key and it changes um that's not currently included in the the dynamic canon because we have this language around uh you know the the appearance the metadata or the state of the blockchain essentially must be like updated in some way um and since when you press that button you know nothing is really updating if you go to the token if you refresh the page the token is is the same as it's ever been um that doesn't get included but it's like okay there's maybe this subcategory or kind of like a adjacent category that needs to also be filled out of interactive so we're quickly learning that in this effort there's a constant branching of categories that that is inevitable um which is going to be a really interesting problem to to solve because people only have so much attention so much time to dedicate to this to this process so kind of like what's the rollout strategy for for that um but it's awesome having so many people 
really digging in and like talking about okay what is this definition of of dynamic and um and sourcing so many examples you know we we had like a pre-generated list of 30 or so dynamic projects and I was like yeah it's like probably like you know we feel like we have a good idea of the dynamic projects that's probably like 80 percent of them and then you know the first week we had like 130 proposals um of which you know now 120 have been actually accepted into the canon so there is this like hive mind thing that really produces produces interesting results I like how like through the JPEG blog on Miro, you're surfacing some of those conversations that are that are going on. And there's a recent piece um, sort of, uh, yeah, surfacing commentary around the new conceptual canon that's coming through and the going back and forth around like what is the conceptual uh, art piece and a bit of debate back and forth. Um, maybe M MP, I could like ask you about like, yeah, uh, how would you kind of surmise uh, some of that conversation there around what represents like uh, conceptual art through the the viewpoint of you know some comments from the JPEG community? Oh my god! So there's like seven hundred messages that are walls of text. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't think I can do them justice. Um, I. You know, it's been fascinating because, you know, conceptual art has been, you know, one of the things that I love exploring the most in, you know, my uh, offline life. And uh, <laughs> so we wrote a little uh, criteria um, for uh, based on, you know, what we knew from the traditional art world that constituted uh, conceptual art. So, you know, like artworks were the idea uh, it's more important than the aesthetics. Um, and, uh, you know, like we surfaced a bunch of Solowitz quotes as well, uh, who was the first one to uh, call conceptual art, conceptual art in the 60s. And, uh, you know, one of them is the idea becomes a machine. That's also an NFT collection that one, uh, Dan Maro, um, that you spoke with uh, previously created as well and uh, then we got our all the people that were actually working on conceptual art Mitchell Chan, CVP, um, Maro, Simon Denny, um, we got a bunch of different people to help us uh, redefine these criteria. Tim Whedon uh, has also been incredibly helpful to the canon, uh, Sam Hart that has been working on blockchain com conceptual art since 2017 before he did Cosmos. And, you know, we just asked them simply for their opinion. Little did we know that actually all of that would become a constant uh, cafe of exchange of ideas. And one of the most salient, uh, maybe, maybe it's better if I, I just highlight the most salient things. One of the points was actually trying to separate those artworks that uh, had an idea behind them uh, from uh, the conceptual, the purely conceptual ones, because basically uh, all good art has an, has an idea behind it, as a team said on one of our spaces. Um, but the conceptual artworks are actually those uh, that it doesn't matter what aesthetics is used um, to convey your message. Um, the idea 
is the the message basically um, another really interesting thing was uh, the constant asks for refinement of uh, the conceptual art canon um the talks about relation relational aesthetics um a canon needing relational aesthetics those are um artworks uh, that require um interaction between the parties um and uh, those that, uh, for example, require, in the case of NFTs, uh, interaction with the smart contract uh, from the users um, to actually come to life. So that was very interesting. Um, and some other discussions uh, were like, yeah, we're building a canon, but what if the concept is actually not good art? And uh, you know, being this a very subjective canon in contrast of the dynamic canon, um, we still ask people to vote a little bit objectively and based on the criteria, you know, we want to gather everything and then refine and then, you know, sub-curate. Um, so there's a lot of discussion around uh, which artworks are actually good conceptual art or bad or their ideas, uh, the ideas behind them fall flat. Um, Trent, do you have uh, more experiences? Um, I would just say that it was conceptual is such a weird category because there is this whole debate of like, uh, you know, okay, if it's like 51% conceptual and like 49% aesthetic, like, is that conceptual? Like, wait, is there's some spectrum of like, you know, conceptual, like, the image does not even exist to like, you know, it's only an image and like there is there's there's no idea at all behind it. And like somewhere along that spectrum is like where the conceptual it stops being conceptual art. Where is that? I don't know if we got an answer. And like there was some discussion about, you know, do we need to go more strict? Like, do we need to really, you know, go deeper into, you know, what this this criteria criteria is? And I think m my point to that was really that, you know, we are still in this this experimental phase within within JPEG and maybe we don't, you know, build a 100 percent accurate, 100 percent complete list of conceptual NFTs. But do we showcase some and like start to show what's possible within the space and like what prior work has been done and like what is the educational potential of what has been created and are we advancing the kind of like knowledge set and culture awareness of this this type of work that i think is really important for uh again kind of like the cultural production, but also the the education. I think one of the things that is really dope about the conceptual NFT work is that it can be such a good educational tool regarding like the principles and operations of crypto itself, which I think so many NFT people probably like don't have as much really knowledge and experience of. Um, and the conceptual art reveals at a really fundamental level, some of those core ideas and ideals of the, the crypto community and ecosystem. Yeah, there's also a really nice point 
um, that uh, was brought up by Andrew Benson, an artist, uh, during one of our community calls. And it was that uh, he really got attracted to the conceptual art canon, even if his uh, artwork is not conceptual per se, because he saw that conceptual NFT artists were returning to the playfulness that early conceptualism had. Um, and at the moment, uh, conceptual art is a little bit heavier. It feels a little bit more politicized sometimes. And uh, it just, uh, you know, it has uh, become very complex while uh, back then it was, you know, um, you know, of course, like, let's do a urinal and sign it uh, is the best example, but it's not the uh, the only one uh, that reflects that playfulness. A lot of Duchamp's work, a lot of uh, even Solowit's uh, instructions um, happen to be very playful as well. Um, the final thing I wanted to say about, you know, the aesthetics uh, and the idea prevailing over the aesthetic that doesn't mean that the conceptual artwork cannot, uh, the conceptual uh, artist can't produce beautiful objects or that it has to produce objects that are mini uh, that are looking a little bit minimalistic. That's a completely different thing or that are very, you know, heavy text-based to convey the idea. Um, conceptual artists can create beautiful objects. Uh, we have many of them in the canon and uh, yeah, as a collector of uh, conceptual art uh, and almost exclusively, um, some of the most beautiful ideas are usually also tied to beautiful visuals. That's what makes a, you know, a complete artist as well. Being able to balance between, you know, the world of, you know, aesthetics and the world of ideas is, yeah, it's not easy. Hmm. Trent, I'll, I'll invite you in case you've got like a kind of response to what MP is saying there as well. Yeah, I well, to the last point, I think it is it was one of the really tough ideas for people to wrap their heads around when it came down to actual voting, I think. Um, and it goes back to, again, this like 50 percent aesthetic 50 percent conceptual like where is the the line in this whole thing and you know i think in the criteria which um you know maybe i'll i'll read out what the actual um official criteria is which is nfts in which the idea or concept takes precedence over traditional aesthetic technical or material concerns Insofar as those traditional concerns play a role, it is one of intentionality and self-aware reference to the idea put forth. Um, and Saul Sol uh, I think, or or maybe it was maybe it was MP. Um, but uh, in our kind of a description, we also say that um, the idea or concept is the leading gesture of the artwork. Um, and so there was definitely when it came down to the voting element there's um it's 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 tough to figure out kind of like well is it the leading gesture like or is the aesthetics the leading gesture and so um it was just it, it was interesting to see some of the the results and you know the nice thing as mp said is like these the canons are you know always works in progress so like some of the things that didn't make it in like i'm just gonna repropose because i'm like no that should that should be in there i'm gonna go look at it again 
take a look at it again. Like, tell me, tell me that shouldn't be in there. Uh, maybe they'll tell me it shouldn't be in there again, but like, I'm still gonna, I'm still gonna do it. And some of the things that made it in, it's like, mm, maybe we should take that out. Um, I see why you went that way, but uh, I don't know if it really, I don't know if it really passes, passes muster. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's an iterative process and like, we're still on our side, we're still like fine tuning. Okay. What are these, what are these criteria need to look like and how do we need to construct these things and how do we then need to tell other people to construct these things when we start letting them go public, um, in order to, uh, kind of produce productive results. We have to say that the most contentious um, proposal of the conceptual canon was actually an artwork um, that the artist said it was conceptual. The co-founder said it, it was also conceptual. And we just said, I'm sorry, but it's too cute to be conceptual, which is familiar. And, you know, like, <laughs> I think that's, uh, you know, the best example. It's very, like, honestly, familiars is, are very rich in uh, in concept. They also have incredible cutting-edge mechanisms attached to them and usage of oracles. Uh, but have you seen familiars? They're the cutest thing I've ever seen. How can, how? You know, I'm focused on the cute there. MP. <laughs> But you're the one who is saying that you can have this synergy of the aesthetics and the concept, which familiar epitomizes. Um, it was on. a twenty-eight to, it was a twenty-eight to thirty vote. It's getting resubmitted. Sam yeah. and I are going to campaign super hard. We're going to turn MP's Canonicon off so she's not allowed to vote. <laughs> um, <laughs> we'll get it. We'll get it in there. I, I just think that, you know, in the case of familiar, where there's also, you know, really interesting mechanisms as well uh, in place that uh, are not entirely, you know, from the conceptual side, uh, but they enrich the experience of the utility of familiar. Um, I'm just still not not seeing it. But, yes, conceptual art is beautiful object, but not the, hyper cute. No, the cute is the cute is the concept because it's all about familiar is all about the relationship that we have to currency and financial price movements and like wanting to uh, uh, reflect and like create in a new way this this relationship. So the whole idea is they have to be cute in order for that relationship between you and money to kind of be personified and like have an emotional emotional connection the cute the cute is the concept um it's it's totally it's totally uh like oh you got muted he got it's so totally... passionate about <laughs> that he muted himself <laughs> it, it is totally that self-aware intentional reference of the aesthetic concerns in service of the of the conceptual uh, but this is not a familiar podcast we <laughs> but how interesting that like you know sam is like from the jpeg team itself so i guess like along the way while you're building building this out he's like familiar is like a side adventure 
um, that's coming through. And then it also happened to be like a, a 50-50 split contentious entry to the, um, to the canon is like, that's, <laughs> it's interesting that it played out that way. Also, the, the term of cutility is, um, is something. That shows that we're still actually a quite small community. So every joke that we make, um, even if we're just like taunting each other, because, you know, after two years of knowing each other um, at some point, you know, like the like the friendship or, you know, the good relationships, like actually reflect on the on the public chats. Um, so, you know, like if I say, sorry, Sam, too cute. Um, and uh, then Trent would say also like too cute, uh, you know, and yeah, that that creates the awareness as well. You know, we need to keep growing to be fully unbiased against the cute. Yeah, and I will say like one of the the kind of features that we didn't have for the dynamic canon, which we then added for the conceptual the conceptual canon, um, just as we, you know, kind of test out and, you know, make little, little updates around the way is the... Um, the comment when you actually submit an NFT to a canon, you can create a comment that kind of argues your case. I will say Sam did not include a proposer comment with his uh, with his submission, just relying on people's interpretation. He needed to argue his case a little bit, and I think it uh, I think it would have would have worked. Um, but it's it's one of the the proposer comment is actually one of the uh, really cool educational elements to the canons as they exist today is you know you can go look at this this big list of all of these nfts and then you you know click to open the table and you know you have someone who proposed the the submission who obviously knows about this collection they get to share a little bit about why it's important to um to this canon and actually makes it a lot easier to to kind of learn and have an entry point into the uh the collection yeah and i think that's a really important uh, aspect of what jpeg is as well uh you know jpeg is about is as much about technology and about creating new ways that technology can facilitate expression and help discover and all the nice things that we need from nfts as it is uh necessary to serve as a human component um, both in the in the soft ex expression and you know uh, single player multiplayer, but also um, in the fact that uh, we need the context, and this context can only be generated by people typing it. Um, there's there's really no other way than you know other person explaining an artwork. Even better if the artist actually submits his own artwork and defends his case. We learn more and we're able to make better decisions that will result will result in better data for NFTs. So subtweet to Sam there um, to try harder uh, next time round and to give give more context. Um, but when we talk on like the technology point of this and like recognizing that JPEG has the exhibition sort of uh, functionality or, 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 you know, feature that's there. And it's making me think about, you know, because there's all these like NFT gallery, you know, spatial world type platforms, right, that are emerging and getting better and stuff like that. I feel like the JPEG exhibition or I'm, I'm keen to ask, like what what you guys think about this but i'm imagining like the exhibition 
uh, piece and kind of creating context and written stuff behind like a a, um, a collection of NFTs that I'm pulling together and maybe I'm also exhibiting them in a VR spatial kind of environment gallery type thing and sort of, you know, linking those two pieces together. Is that is that something that you imagine as being useful in the future? Is that something that you've had in mind at any point? Am I completely off base in thinking of this? I just kind of, I feel like they, that might be nice things to, to link together or using JPEG for that might be better than, you know, having a spatial world with a blog post attached. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, the, there's definitely a reason we put all of the exhibitions on our weave. Um, and part of that is for just like kind of provenance and permanence of that that information. Um, but a big piece of it is also just kind of public access and transparency and like, uh, you know, uh, the ability for that experience to live across interfaces, across apps, across wherever, right? So, um, you know, I think it would be interesting if in the future, you know, someone can take their, you know, their wallet and like go to a VR um, type app or platform and like be able to pull in their gallery um, of their collected own stuff. Um, I would say for us personally, um, I don't think the kind of metaverse experiences are necessarily like super, super on our kind of like radar or to-do list. I mean, I'm someone who who deeply believes the best experience of digital art is on a 13-inch MacBook with like DoorDash next to you and like four half-drank beverages. Um that is that is prime viewing environment. Um and for me the the metaverse type stuff can be a little bit too like cumbersome i think it's really interesting kind of like once you actually do like full vr like there's some really cool cool experiences once you actually like do the immersive deep dive i think that's that can be really special as opposed to just kind of on your on your screen um and i think obviously that tech is going to keep progressing yeah i appreciate that commentary there about like um you know the spatial gallery thing not necessarily being the thing but then on the flip side of that, it's like when we meet up and have like exhibitions or events, conferences and stuff like that, more and more we're in rooms with a bunch of screens on the wall and a bunch of art on the wall on on these screens. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how that kind of like evolves over time into like different kind of potentially, uh, you know, interactivity or some kind of thing beyond a bunch of TVs in a, in a space and, and what that looks like. I don't really know. Um, but yeah, to kind of like to, to round around and kind of, uh, look to wrap up and let MP like log off or, or go to a different website. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe we could throw out to kind of, so for, for listeners who are, uh, intrigued by, by JPEG and what they're hearing about, um, how can folks look to, join the community to engage with it, to contribute to some of these canons um, and all that kind of stuff and kind of like get involved with the project and conversations that are going on there. 
I think the best way is to join our Discord. And while the Discord might seem very daunting right now, um, especially given, you know, there's like said 700 comments on the conceptual art discussion, um, we are working very hard on, you know, creating short and sweet blog posts uh, with summaries so that everyone can catch up if they want to. Uh, they can probably invest uh, 30 minutes of their time reading the blog posts and you know just dive right in um also yeah the discord is the best way so it's a, a discord.gg slash curate jpg and uh, from there basically you can uh, verify your wallet in a couple of days we update the allow list and once uh, we update that allow list uh, you can mint a very cute and dynamic NFT um, called the Canonicon we co-created with uh, Stardrop. And from there, you can start proposing, uh, voting, and of course, joining the conversations always uh, for free and you don't need a token. Trent, like, do you have any anything else that you'd like to shout out as far as inviting people uh, inside and maybe what they can can expect, like joining the community? I would just add that you can also just check out um, the canons on jpeg.space um, uh, to see kind of like what's been created thus far, as well as explore some of the exhibitions. Um, you know, the same community that is having these great discussions in the Discord is are also the people that are creating exhibitions and showing off what they're interested in uh, uh, via via their kind of personal curations. So there's a lot of amazing amazing work being uncovered in those exhibitions as well um uh yeah follow us on twitter say what up we would love to uh to have you and you know improve expand just keep the the conversation rolling thank you to mp and trent for coming on ufo you can find them on twitter at mp the real mvp and at underscore trent underscore that's t-r-e-n-t-e Links to their socials and projects are in the show notes at ufo.mira.xyz. Thanks to our sponsors who made this episode possible. To get started with Zerion and create your new crypto wallet, head to zerion.io. To join the Lens ecosystem and explore the future of Web3 social, be active around UFO, engage with us on Twitter. We're looking forward to invite you inside. Subscribe and collect our NFTs at ufoclub.lens. This is Nick Collins signing off from UFO.